You're listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent bi-weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement and run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number two. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, Sana So, guys... This is the second episode. Hey. How cool is that? It's very exciting. Very good. So we've got some very nice feedback. Yeah, I have to admit that some of those are a um, bit of an insider feedback, like from uh, Gabor Rochko, who we interviewed on the first show. And Susan Gerbic wrote some very nice words about us. I think us. she's our biggest fan. Yeah. But it's not just uh, inside, you know. It's great to have somebody like Derek from Skepticality. And he's the host of the yeah. world's oldest skeptical Uh, podcast and he's posting uh, comments on our Facebook page yeah yeah sure and let's not forget Richard Saunders um, the Skeptic Zone podcast uh, host who also put a good word for us yeah Yeah, and the Skeptic Zone is also one of the, the, the oldest podcasts out there and the most influential mm. ones so Richard thank you very much for embracing us yeah. Thanks all, uh, all, all of you who, who embraced us and uh, uh, mentioned us. Much appreciated. Uh, being new um, and up-and-coming podcast, it's very important um, to have the recognition, well, to have the support. And we are absolutely open to, to uh, collaborate uh, if, if um, anyone out there is interested. So if you want to do an interview with us, if you, if you uh, want to talk to us, if you have a comment or a criticism or a hate mail um, you, you want to send, just uh, find us on the internet. We have our website, the esp.eu, and uh, you can write to us at info at the esp.eu or contact us on our Facebook page. That's perfect as well. But uh, there is something I think we should make absolutely clear because uh, we got a comment regarding our political stance. We have to make it clear that we are not Eurosceptics. So we are not in doubt of European uh, unity and uh, the European Union no, we have as no, an institution. Yeah. <laughs> no, we have no political agenda and we are not uh, having any views on the uh, on the currency of, of Europe at all. So that's not what we're about. Absolutely. If we have a political agenda, it's only that political decisions should be made based on evidence and reason. Yes. Yeah, we are here to promote science and skepticism and critical thinking. Um, and that's what this podcast is about and bring together like-minded people from across the Europe. Yeah, because we want to we want to connect them we want to be the bridge for skeptics indeed among the comments there were a few very interesting ones like the one from uh, leon kurtevech uh, who's a very active member of those uh, dutch skeptics and guerrilla skepticism on wikipedia he is one of the most active people 
in the project, apart from um, Susan Gerbic herself, of course. He piled up a few stats and put it on the comment section, um, reacting, of course, to what um, Pontus was uh, kind enough to share with us regarding what Swedish people believe. We would really love to pile up uh, a huge amount of data on, uh, on, on, on that case. Even Chris French sent us via email an extraction from his book uh, titled Anomalistic Psychology. If someone doesn't know, Chris French, Christopher French, uh, is a very famous and renowned uh, psychologist uh, leading the Anomalistic Psychology Research Unit at Goldsmith College at the University of London, where the the last uh, European Skeptics Congress took place, by the way, and uh, he was uh, the co-organizer of the of the Congress. So he shared with us a few uh, pieces of information, and we would like to collect even more. We need these information. So if you would be kind enough to share it with us, uh, send it via email, comment it on Facebook, or whatever way you prefer. And our email is info at the ESP.eu. So, when we have uh, the great amount of information regarding these statistics, then we're going to be sharing with, uh, them together as a um, kind of a comparison. Well, this is all about our first episode and what fee- feedback we got for it. Uh, so, dear listeners, I would like to share with you what you can expect to hear on this show. Um, we're going to be kinking off with uh, Yelena, who's going to be telling us something about a person born on the 2nd of December. Uh, then we're moving on to see what the biggest sceptical news are in Europe. Coming up afterwards, um, there is an interview uh, with Catherine de Jong, chair of the Dutch Association Against Quackery. Of course, we're going to be talking about yet another common misconception about sceptics afterwards. Skepticism is nothing else but a belief system, is the statement that we're going to be talking about this time. Then, Yalana will help us find our way among logical fallacies. This time, we'll see how to avoid hasty generalizations. And when we're done with that, Pontus will shed some light onto someone who's been really wrong lately. And then, Yalana who once again took on the task of challenging her co-hosts with news items, out of which one is false and two are true. So let's see who's falling into her trap this time. On this day, 2nd of December 1936, a German-American molecular biologist and professor of molecular and cell biology of the University of California, Berkeley, was born. Uh, His name is Peter Doisberg. He is known for his early research into genetic aspects of cancer, and more recently for his central role in the AIDS denialism uh, movement. And as a proponent of the belief that HIV, in fact, is harmless and does not cause AIDS. Well, here is a controversial statement. So, here is the problem with with this uh, guy. He is a very known scientist who did a lot of uh, research, uh, published a lot of papers. Uh, when I did my research before show, um, I've looked it up, um, and he, he's got lists, you know, of various uh, articles and uh, and stuff like that. And he did good work 
in, in cancer research, he really did. And then he goes on to say that HIV doesn't cause AIDS. Well, the problem is when a statement like this comes out of the mouth of a very well-established scientist, the world listens and people start doubting things. Sadly, and I think there is a merit to it, that it is known or uh, believed that his views, Dausberg's views, um, are cited as a major influence in South Africa HIV-AIDS policy under the administration of Thabo Mbgeki, um, which embraced AIDS and denialism. Unfortunately, a lot of people died unnecessarily under his regime uh, because the Mbeki administration uh, failed to provide um, antiretroviral drugs in a timely manner due in part to the influence of AIDS denialism. And now and this is the greatest danger that uh, we f sometimes face when somebody with creden credentials like uh, the scientist uh, Dosberg um, comes out with a statement like this um, that can influence people in power mm. and then in turn affects other people's lives. Um, and it's pretty horrifying, but it's also a, a good uh, food for thought that how carefully we have to examine our beliefs and our mm. uh, views and um, make sure they're based in facts and reality. And what really puzzles me, I mean, in science community, surely he, he got a lot of flack for it, um, a lot of criticism, but yet he never changed his mind. He never said, no, sorry, you know, I, I was wrong. He still is um, an a, a HIV AIDS, AIDS denialist. And um, I just wonder what goes through his mind. I mean, it's, it's a bit like blind faith almost. Mm. Peter Dersberg. So, yeah, so I think this is an effect we've seen before when when people who are very knowledgeable in one area suddenly believes that they are expert in other areas and they go out and they have the credibility and people listen to them and it's very 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 dangerous yeah it happens it happens a lot but do you guys remember it was um, earlier on this year when there was this german biologist uh, by the name dr stefan lanka he was he was claiming the same thing about measles, but I think he's a he's oh, an, an, an HIV denialist as well. He claimed that the 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 illness, the measles itself, was not caused by a virus. No, I do remember. But that. instead, it was purely psychosomatic. Mm. He challenged. He posted a challenge on his website uh, in 2011, offering a sum of like a hundred thousand euros. And for every anyone who can scientifically prove that measles is caused by a virus mm. and determine di the diameter of the virus, and that was the thing that by by which they they caught him. Yeah, he lost the because, bet. Yeah, he lost because there was there was a, a German physician. He he did that. He did everything that 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 was included in the challenge. He uh, Lanka didn't didn't want to pay the pay the sum, so uh, the the guy. Uh, brought it to court, and uh, yeah, he, and he won yeah, he the had case. To pay 100, <laughs> euros, so. So oh like, yes, I remember so that now. Was, that was one yeah. of the silliest things to do, yeah. and uh, yeah. yeah, it was but, uh, such. Yeah. A, but unfortunately, Steve Novella even even called him. Uh, Steve Novella uh, wrote about him on Science Based Med Medicine, mm. and even called him a crank. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but unfortunately, it doesn't always end that 
uh, well, you know, and uh, yeah. if you are claiming something that is not true and hundreds of thousands of people are dying about it, then uh, it's not a laughing matter. It is not. It is not. So this is something that has to be taken seriously. Let's see. When when it comes to things like healthcare and, and medical aid, there are lots of things that have to be taken seriously and pseudoscientific claims have no place whatsoever. Let's see what's new around Europe. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, some news from the Netherlands. The Dutch branch of the so-called Church of Scientology recently had a major setback. And for us who are familiar with Scientology, that's not bad news at all. Scientology is something that was started in the 50s by a guy called L. Ron Hubbard. He was actually a failed uh, sci-fi author who didn't, he didn't manage to sell his own book. So he started a religion instead and he actually said that there was more money in religion than 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 in in writing books. He was yeah, right. He was right, <laughs> and he proved himself right. Scientology is what I would call a cult, uh, where you you lure, you lure people in and you get them to pay a lot of money to take courses and get educated, and this will advance you within the movement. And there's levels that you should advance to, and you don't know what's in the next level, and it's always promised to be better. On the next level and, and and they really know how to charge for this so anyway yeah. in the netherlands in the city of the hague uh, there's a court who decided to take away the tax status as public welfare institution for the scientology church in 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 the netherlands and that means that they have now lost their tax benefits Ooh, yeah that's, that so this is, is really something good to cheer about yeah the court yeah. found that the expensive courses and the so-called therapy sessions clearly are aimed at making a profit, which means that they are now removed from the tax authorities' charity list. So, way go the Netherlands. Well, wow. I wonder when uh, America will ca- uh, catch on and with their mega churches on every corner and uh, pastors of those churches making billions of uh, dollars mm. uh, tax-free. Um, I see now and again, you know, in the social media posts about, you know, the the government missing out on tax and whatever else. But nothing been done yet. And I'm I'm surprised that their tax offices didn't catch on and thought, hang on a second. But there are there are people like like uh, John Oliver who really try to 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 take on that that oh, yeah. challenge of of uh, drawing the attention of people and the public to to that that absolute nonsense uh, do you remember when when he he started he launched um the his own church. our lady our lady of perpetual exemption <laughs> yeah it that was, was excellent yeah that's great excellent Right. Yeah, and and everything that was donate, donated to the church that it was an actual church that they 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 put together, and uh, the all the donation that went to the church were actually transferred to uh, doctors without borders, I think. Yeah, that's right. So that's brilliant. <laughs> that's that's the way to do it. That's yeah, yeah. showing by example way how to ridiculous go. it is. Exactly, exactly. Anyway, when I, I read this news, I was curious. So I started to look into what what is the status of Scientology in other countries of Europe. So it turns out that in six countries in Europe, uh, Scientology is recognized as a religion. So that is Croatia, Slovenia, Portugal, Spain, 
Switzerland and Sweden to my no oh, I feel so ashamed but that's where well, you have a lot to do about it yeah so now I know what to focus on next <laughs> so there are also four countries that give Scientology status of non-profit organization that's Austria Greece Italy and Norway so in all of these countries Scientology does have tax-exempt status mm. Uh, there are 10 other countries where they have no special status. This is Belgium, Czech Republic, Denmark, Finland, Germany, Hungary. Good for you, Andras. Uh, Ireland, the Netherlands now, Poland and Romania. Russia and UK are interesting because they have contradicting rulings. So uh, in some in instances, they are granted religious status and in others not. Like they are from a VAT point of view, they don't have to declare VAT, but they still pay taxes. And so different authorities have different rules. France has uh, prosecuted the organization for fraud. So that's, that's good, because I think it is well really a fraudulent organization. But I'm not sure how that prosecution uh, ended. I, I, I couldn't find that. I do think um, Scientology is a bit marginalized these days. So it's, mm -hmm. I do feel that, that people are not afraid of talking about it anymore, mm -hmm. as they were and they used to be. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you agree with that. or. But I, I know that in Sweden they are not dead. I, I see them outdoors in the city selling the Dianetics books and, 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 and propagating their, their nonsense. Of course, they don't call themselves always the Scientology because Scientology has a bad reputation. So they sell it, they sell the book and they don't tell you that it's Scientology. So instead of the Watchtower people, mm -hmm. you have the Scientology ones? Yeah. And they, selling, selling the books of L. Ron Hubbard? Yes, and they operate okay. under 10 different names in Sweden. I think. Oh. Uh, in America, Scientology is big, of course. There was this actress, Leah Remini, who left them recently. She's been absolutely punished for it uh, by Scientology Church. Uh, her family rejected her and she's got basically, she lost lots of connections, lots of friends and, and it's still going on now. So um, it's not, um, yeah, the, the grip of Scientology is still pretty strong in America. I know this, that more and more people speak out about it, about it, like, for example, her, Leah Remini. Which is good, and it will have a snow hopefully it will have a snowball effect going forward. So the next um, uh, piece of news that I've got for you is about John Maddox Prize that recognizes the work of an individual who promotes sound science and evidence on a matter of public interest, facing difficulty or hostility in doing so. Ooh. Now, the winners of the 2015 John Maddox Prize were Professor Edzard Ernst and Professor Susan Jeb. Uh, they were announced on the 3rd of November, so that was a month ago in London. So Professor Edzard Ernst, he is a physician qualified in Germany uh, and got his PhD and MD there. And he received hands-on training on acupuncture autogenic training, herbalism, homeopathy, massage therapy, and um, he later became professor in physical medicine and rehabilitation. Now, he's published an endless amount of books and articles um, in peer-reviewed journals and literature, and his research was focused on the critical evaluation of all aspects of alternative medicine. So he was the one who 
having a training in this field, then gone out and said, hang on a second, where are the evidence? And he has been um, under attack for it. Susan Jebb, she's a professor of diet and population health at the University of Oxford. And she is recognized for her promotion of public understanding of nutrition. So she tackled misconceptions about sugar in the media and she she was accused that industry funding compromised her integrity. I think it's a great um, prize um, for for people like that who who promote science but not only that they are you know under threat of some sorts and their lives are made more difficult in the process and and it's good that they recognized um, by science society um, for for a good work that they do. Very well deserved. But uh, since since we mentioned homeopathy, I just heard that the Hungarian Academy of Sciences finally endorsed the idea of homeopathic remedies to be tested as rigorously as real drugs are. And that, I have to mention, is a follow-up on, on a similar statement from the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences Yay. a couple months ago. There is a very interesting situation of, of uh, the regulation of homeopathic remedies in, in Hungary. When a certain homeopathic remedy gets the green light, it goes through a so-called facilitated process of licensing. So they don't have to be as rigorous, rigorously tested. They ha- don't have to live up to those expectations that a, a, a normal pharmacological drug you know, has to. We've clashed with uh, the regulators on many occasions uh, back in Hungary and even with the Hungarian Academy of Sciences because they they they've got criticized uh, um very often for for not releasing a statement uh that condemns homeopathy as um an utter nonsense uh based on all the evidence evidence that's out there and uh so what they did now uh they put it to a vote at um the section of medical sciences within the Hungarian uh, Academy of Sciences. And uh, the vote was about whether they they want to embrace the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences former statement that was made in May the 12th uh, this year uh, or not. And that statement was, um, I believe, all about, um, and it was kind of kicked off by... Uh, and another statement that was uh, made by um, the National Health and Medical Research Council in uh, Australia at the beginning of May, where they analyzed 176 uh, scientific research papers and publications about uh, trials on homeopathic drugs and homeopathic remedies, and uh, they got into the conclusion that these, there is an absolutely no reliable evidence uh, as to homeopathy to be working uh, on a on a more reliable basis than placebo does. So this this really had a kind of a snow, snowball effect uh, from the Aussies uh, because when this this was released. Uh, this statement, 
that this should not be, and homeopathic remedies therefore should not be taken seriously and should not be uh, prescribed and should not be uh, given to to patients with serious illnesses. Uh, that was the one um, to which the, the Swedish, uh, the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences, reacted uh, a couple of days um, after the afterwards, and uh, with only a few months delay. Also, the Hungarian Academy of Sciences reacted. So, what it means is that they want regulators to to change the regulations so that testing homeopathic remedies should be as rigorous as uh, is applied to other drugs, and. That is something to to look forward to. Uh, the problem is that I don't think it's gonna gonna pass any anytime soon. So, so what weight has this uh, statement of the Hungarian Academy of Science? This is just a recommendation, or what is it? Well, it is a recommendation. The Hungarian Academy of Sciences is a very um, a distinguished organization, uh, but. It doesn't have a word in in questions of regulation. Um, it it really works as a, as a kind of an advisory body, but uh, sometimes not even that. So they they put out a um, um, press release, and uh, at the moment, at the very moment, this is about the extent of the situation. Uh, but but really the uh, there have been many 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 occasions when they got criticized for 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 not standing up against uh this this pseudoscientific nonsense that is homeopathy yeah so it's good news but yeah but apparently um that there is something more serious going on in the united kingdom with homeopathy uh, and it has a lot to do with this, uh, the Good Thinking Society that was founded and is mostly run by Simon Singh and um, uh, Michael Marshall. So there appears to be a situation in which the government is reconsidering putting homeopathy on a blacklist. And that doesn't mean that people will not be able to buy them. It only means that it cannot be prescribed on NHS. The NHS is the National Health Service in the United Kingdom. And um, it is still paying for homeopathic remedies. And this is utter nonsense. But there is a, a, a so-called blacklist. And that list um, consists of about 3,000 uh, different items that are not recommended either because of them not being efficient or effective or not being economically efficient or cost-effective. It's not that we're not there yet. Homeopathy is not on the blacklist yet, but the regulations uh, can be changing regarding homeopathy and it can be put on that blacklist. Uh, because these days, apparently, five million pounds, British pounds, are spent by the taxpayers uh, uh, through NHS on homeopathy a medication or a so-called medication, a remedy, a, a basically sugar pills that have no therapeutic effect whatsoever uh, above placebo. So 
this is a cool thing. And this has been all over the news, uh, all across the world uh, so far. BBC, The Guardian started it out and um, everywhere else um, on the globe, they, they picked it up, um, especially skeptics, but not only them. And um, this is why we asked uh, Michael Marshall to, to come on the show uh, whenever he can. So hopefully uh, one of the next episodes will feature him um, 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 in the form of an interview that we can uh, do with him uh, about this. Because I would like to find out how they, they, they manage to persuade um, the regulators to, to, to actually deal with the problem. Because that is the most important um, uh, lesson for skeptics to learn, I think. Because we want to do just that with many, many other things. To to make decision makers really consider and reconsider uh, earlier decisions. So, well done, uh, Good Thinking Society. And uh, fingers crossed, as all skeptics say that uh, it will turn out well. And we're looking forward to the interview with uh, Michael Marshall from the Good Thinking Society. Okay, um, let's move on, because we have an interview lined up uh, with uh, Catherine de Jong. On every episode, uh, we interview a person uh, from a European-level skepticism, and here with us this time is Catherine de Jong, who's an anesthesiologist and uh, chair of the Dutch Association Against Quackery, also referred to as VTDK. Also, she's a board member of the European Council of Skeptical Organizations, known as EXO. So, Catherine, welcome. Well, thank Uh, you. Well, it's very good to have you here. And uh, first of all, I haven't even attempted to, to try and say the... Dutch name of the organization um, to which you are chair. <laughs> the official name of the organization is Vereniging tegen de Kwakzalverij. And in short, that would be VTDK. And the English translation of that is the, the Dutch Society Against Quackery. What's the goal of this um, organization? What, what does it do? Well, uh, it's a, a very old society. The first papers are from 1880, and in 1881 it was officially established. At that time, uh, medicine was uh, still a very young science, but there was a division between quacks and and medics. And uh, the medics did not want to be bothered by the quacks, and so this society against quackery started uh, her existence. And from the beginning... um, we have been fighting quacks, have been fighting uh, medication that does not work and um, fighting um, people who do false medical claims and um, also uh, preparations that um, are sold but do not work. Um, so uh, with the progress of medicine in in the in the last century, you know, quackery almost uh, went out of fashion. But in the 1970s, we got a new storm of alternative medicine and new quackery coming up. And then our society um, blossomed again because there was a lot of quackery to fight. And at the moment, we are a society with almost 2,000 members. 
we have uh, regular meetings, we have an annual symposium, uh, we have a magazine that is published four times a year, and we have a website where we have all kinds of information about quackery. And we tend to be very quick with reacting to things that go on in society. Wow. And that, that is a huge amount of members, that, a huge, huge number of members that, that you just mentioned. Yes. Uh, how many people um, live in the Netherlands altogether? Um, there's uh, about 16 million people. But it, it must keep you very busy. And uh, I understand this is not your day job. No, no, no. It's not a day job. Um, uh, we have a very large uh, group of board members. About 16 people uh, are uh, board members. They are all specialists in uh, one medical speciality. So we've got a psychologist, psychiatrist, we've got a pharmacist, a dentist, uh, a gynecologist, a uh, general practitioner. Uh, we have all kinds of people, also a lawyer, uh, who are working together on this uh, uh, in this board. And because there are so many experts on so many specialities, it's very easy for us to react with a good quality uh, article on the website or uh, write letters to newspapers or magazines uh, when that is necessary. Do these newspapers and magazines respect you or turn to you when they have dubious claims or stuff? Uh, yes, they do, because, um, well, we've been on radio, television, and uh, our, our board members uh, are, are really specialists in their field. So journalists trust their judgment. If a journalist uh, wants to know something, they know how to find us and they call our secretary and the secretary divides the questions among the board members according to your speciality. That sounds very interesting. So you're really into public domain and you, you are present in the media and, and pe people are actually aware of your existence. Uh, well, uh, I always have to comb my hair when I go to work because any day uh, there might be a question from a journalist and any day a journalist might rush in uh, uh, with a camera and they will ask for a quote to to put in the seven o'clock news at night. So Catherine, you, you, you said that um, the uh, quackery kind of died down at some point and then there was a rise uh, of quackery in the um, 70s. Well, um, by the 1960s and 70s, the medical world was uh, growing. There was good progress and uh, it became an establishment. So the medical establishment uh, was some uh, <laughs> an establishment that also suffered from the, the hippies and the, the counterculture that was there during that, uh, that time. So uh, with the hippies, uh, the interest in Eastern philosophy and in exotic healing practices uh, um, became more more known. So um, it's it's a more or less a side effect of, of the of the 70s. President Nixon went to China and he got a demonstration of acupuncture and how fabulously effective it uh, can be. And uh, from that point, the interest in um, acupuncture and Chinese medicine started. People went to India and he came into contact with Ayurvedic medicine and brought that to the West. Uh, and then uh, 
this this became a kind of a, a subculture to be interested in alternative medicine and to be against uh, normal medicine. What's important to me is that some people are really suffering because they are not getting adequate medical treatment. They live on fear and false information from alternative healers. And uh, when you've seen that happen uh, in your hospital, well, at least I become angry. And for me, that is the motivation to fight alternative medicine and the false claims that alternative healers uh, do. How did you first come across these uh, these bogus ideas? Um, well, it actually was uh, through patients, to see, uh, through seeing patients suffer. Uh, during my training, I came into contact with a patient, uh, a lady in her early 40s, um, who had breast cancer and she thought she got adequate treatment from uh, what you call a naturopath, uh, probably in English. Yeah, naturopath. Yeah. Yeah, nat naturopath. And um, uh, there she was uh, sometime later in hospital with severe pain because the tumor had uh, uh, caused nerve pain. The, the tumor was eating away at her nerve. Uh, so she was in severe pain, uh, no adequate treatment for her breast cancer. Uh, she could not have an operation anymore. Uh, chemotherapy could not be used anymore. And the only thing we could do was palliative care and uh, take care of uh, her in, in, in that way that she would not uh, suffer too much pain. And when you come across several of these patients in hospital, you know, I... I I'm, I'm upset because these patients do not get the best care that, that, that was available. They suffer because of that. And uh, the patients themselves will not complain about it because they have other things on their mind. And me as a doctor, I cannot report this because of uh, the fact that I have to um, keep medical information to myself. And if I uh, file a complaint without names and facts, nobody will do anything about it. I had to do something with my <laughs> being angry about these things happening. So that's why I joined uh, the Dutch Society Against Quackery. And uh, that, that way I could become active and do something to prevent this happening in the future. Do you agree? And I think this is the the uh, topic that kind of arose uh, at the uh, uh, Congress, that um, the, the the pharmaceutical companies are creating drugs for uh, made up illnesses now because uh, they want to uh, obviously earn a lot of money and they're chasing profits. Is that something you're observing in medical practice? Well. Um... In Dutch practice, we don't prescribe medicine when it's not necessary. As a doctor, you are trained first to find out what's wrong with the patient and then to uh, uh, come up with a plan what would be the best uh, treatment option. Yeah. And do doing nothing, uh, wait and see, is also a treatment option. So yeah. uh, don't stuff your patient with medication. If you can uh, help your patient without pre prescribing medication, that is the first option and that's okay too. You only prescribe medication if 
uh, it is necessary. Uh, of course, um, medical companies want to sell medication, but they want to sell medication and maintain their reputation. So they're not going to develop medication that is useless. You said uh, in the board you're very you're taken very seriously because you're all academics, you're experts in different areas. Uh -huh. uh, do you feel that there is any risk that you alienate the, if I say the the people who are not academics? No, no, no. It's it's just uh, every everybody can become a member of of uh, the Dutch Society Against Quackery. Uh, about half of the members is uh, either a doctor or a nurse or does something within healthcare, and the rest of the people are not in healthcare. They are teachers, uh, um, whatever. You don't have to be uh, in the medical field to become a member. We need non-medical members uh, very much because we need uh, uh, lawyers and uh, and all kinds of people to, to help us. But it's very good especially when it becomes when you have to write articles on medical subjects to have a specialist on every medical subject uh, uh, either within uh, the organization or within the board um, you mentioned um, the collaboration between the dutch skeptics that's um, called skepsis right mm -hmm. yes skeps so skepsis and uh, the dutch so uh, the dutch society against quackery um, where do you see the role of an international level uh, organization like EXO, uh, the European Council of Skeptical Organizations, to which you are a board member as well? No, uh, alternative uh, healers are, are very well organized and they uh, approach the European Parliament. So we have to, to counteract, uh, counter that with a European organization that will explain to the European Parliament that uh, homeopathy is nonsense, etc., uh, etc. Et um, it's very important to have a strong voice because homeopathy, for example, is nonsense in every country. Exactly, totally agree. Uh, that that is the main reason why we started running this podcast um, in the first place. I couldn't agree more. Well, then the, there's the other thing, and we've seen a good example of that. Some uh, alternative uh, uh, healers from the United States, for example, they organize a European tour. They go to every European country. And I think it was Michael Marshall again who sent me a letter. Do you know that Mr. So-and-so is on tour? And um, we have written a letter to the uh, organization who uh, invited him and to the uh, location that will... Where, where he will present himself. Um, I did the same in, in the Netherlands. So if uh, alternative healers are on a European tour and we are well organized as European skeptics, we can all uh, see to it that in our own country we um, can um, uh, let some protests be heard um, against these people uh, giving lectures and uh, giving presentations. What, what was the last one? Mr. Popov uh, visiting Europe? I can't remember, but uh, oh, yeah. you know, if something mm -hmm. like, like, like that happens, we managed to, to uh, prevent uh, um, presentations from uh, some alternative healers that way. That is, that is a very good job. It's uh, a great result. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very well done. 
And uh, yeah, you, you were referring on many occasions to Michael Marsh or Marsh, uh, yeah. who's with uh, the Good Thinking Society. And yes. I think they are setting a very good example to to other organizations all across Europe. Are there any things that you would you would be able to to point out as being typically Dutch problems that skeptics face? Um, like like what are the, the greatest challenges um, Dutch skeptics have to face? Um, well, one problem we have come across uh, in the last few years is that um, alternative medicine creeps into uh, school books. There are uh, biology books in, in high school and they uh, have a piece on homeopathy or on uh, iroscopy. In biology text textbooks? Uh, well, the, 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 the iroscopy was in a biology book and the homeopathy was in a, in a chemistry book. And then we have to write uh, uh, a letter to the publishers and we have to write letters to the schools. Do you know what's in your school books? School books used to last uh, five, six, seven years in the past, but now almost every year there are new school books and it's very difficult to keep track of new school books uh, uh, with, with nonsense. So it becomes more and more work. Uh, so, you know, the information that kids get uh, uh, in school is very important. And for example, um, we have an epidemic uh, in the Netherlands of people uh, writing about food and health food and uh, things like that. But a lot of this information is wrong and it also creeps into the school system and um, it creeps into the official, official channels. So last week we had a, a problem with a supermarket that publishes a free paper in which, of course, there are advertisements advertisement for the products, but also recipes and also uh, um, an article from a food blogger saying that um, honey was healthier than sugar when you put it in your cake and nonsense like that. Uh, so so uh, even on, when it comes to those subjects, you have to be uh, on the lookout and react immediately. And within a week, uh, the, the publisher uh, uh, admitted that this was not a good publication and apologized for the nonsense they had published in the magazine. So that, that's a good thing. So they actually accept your criticism. That is pretty good. That is that that would be a a, a good uh, final thought. Um, but what would you say to those who kind of think, kind of feel like they are skeptics, but they don't know where to start, how to start the activism, what to do first? Where would you want them to to be? Um, well, anybody who has questions. Um, is a good starter in the field of skepticism. I mean, start with the questions. When you're in doubt, when you have questions, go to people who can help you along the way. And if you go to an organization of uh, skeptics, there will be specialists uh, in all kinds of fields and they can help you to find literature, books um, that are uh, uh, interesting to you. The, the the search for the truth is 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 important, and you know it may take uh, take a long time to to find what you're looking for. But 
uh, go talk to skeptics. Uh, first of all, they're very, <laughs> very nice people. You can have a good time with them. Uh, they're a lot of fun. And that is correct. <laughs> and, and they can always tell you where to look for more information. It is uh, very important to help each other uh, to find uh, good information. And I think the Skeptics Network does that for people who are uh, who have questions. And if they if people want to can uh, contact you or the organization, where where can they go online or where can they find you? Um, uh, we've got a, a website which is www.kwaksalverij.nl. Uh, and um, if some, uh, somebody has a question, you can give them uh, my email address, which you have. Okay. I think that's all we have time for today. And uh, Katharina de Jong, thank you very much for being with us here. Thank you. Well, thank you very thank much. You, thank you for having me on the program. And I wish you lots of success with uh, podcasts that are going to be there in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Bye. Bye bye. On each episode, we take a look at some of the frequently asked questions or claims made regarding skeptics or skepticism in general. This time, let's examine the claim that goes skepticism is nothing else but a belief system. Oh, yeah. If someone claims that skepticism is nothing else but a but a belief system uh, doesn't really know what skepticism is all about because skepticism is a way of thinking it's not a system the only thing that it says is that you have to question everything that is claimed and everything including your own claims and ideas so what you have to apply is a method to test your ideas and claims. And that method is the method of science, which builds up on the ideas, so-called theories, and tests the, the theories with the means that are as objective as possible. Because the greatest problem with our, the assessing our own ideas is that we inclined to think that we are always right and we incline to th think that whatever we claim is the right answer thus skepticism is the furthest that it can be from a belief system because the only thing that it believes is that there is a method to find out if someone is right or wrong and uh, of course there are no absolutes here we cannot say something is not possible. We cannot say that something doesn't exist. So there are limits to this method. But the, its limits is the greatest power of the whole idea of skepticism. So it's very, very far from a belief system. On all episodes, we're going to be exploring a few logical fallacies as well. The one being our guide is, once again, Yelena. Um, what have you got for us this time? Before I start, just to quickly remind everyone that logical fallacies are arguments where the conclusion does not follow from the premises. And when logical fallacies are used in the argument, they don't automatically void the point of the argument. However one has to be mindful of them. 
And so today I will talk about the hasty generalization. And this is a conclusion based on insufficient or biased evidence. In other words, you are rushing to a conclusion before you have all the relevant facts. So hasty generalization. If somebody, for example, talks about smoking, we know we all know that smoking is really bad for you. And uh, but then somebody can say, well, my father smoked for four packs of cigarettes a day since age fourteen, and he lived until age sixty-nine or seventy. Therefore, smoking really can't be that bad for you. So you know this is a real kind of uh, obvious thing here. It is extremely unreasonable to draw a universal conclusion about the health risks of smoking by the case study of one man, you know, uh, based on the anecdotes, as you know. <laughs> um, how shall we deal with this fallacy when it comes across in a conversation? So we need to point to the uh, a person we speak to that uh, it's actually um, a not fair way to, to judge the situation. You can't jump from A to Z. We need to demand evidence or ask a person to go away and think about it and provide some research and evidence to their claim. And uh, hopefully that will also make other people more aware. Pontus. I'm really excited to hear who's been really wrong lately in Europe. Well, today's uh, prize for being really wrong goes to the UK. Specifically, it goes to Dr. Batras. Have you ever heard of Dr. Batras? No. No? Good for you nope. then. Good for you then. <laughs> because neither did I, so that's okay. Oh. Did I win something? Did we win me and Andres? <laughs> yeah, I think you were better off. Dr. Batras is an Indian company and is now opening stores uh, uh, in the UK. So if you go to their website, which we prefer not to link to, they claim that they have remedies for hair loss, acne, hay fever, eczema, psoriasis and, and more. So uh, the question is, what medical qualifications would you expect that this chain has? What do you say, guys? None whatsoever. <laughs> Well, if you guess homeopathy, you're right. Uh, but uh, as for qualifications, not so much. So if you go to their own website, Dr. Batra's Positive Health Products Limited is, is in fact manufacturing and selling cosmetic product. So even on their own website, they're not even homeopath. Uh, homeopathy, of course, uh, we've talked about before in this episode. It's about the, the, the idea is that like cures like, and the more you dilute it, the more powerful it gets. And both of those things are, are nonsense, of course. But like cures like means that if you, have, if you have a disease that causes certain symptoms, you should look for other things that cause the same symptoms, and then you dilute it so much that there's nothing in it. You take that dilution, you drop it on a pill, and then that pill is supposed to cure the original disease. This is, of course, nonsense. And it turns out that uh, the ASA, or Advertising Standards Authority in the UK, they took issue with Dr. Batras already in 2011 on three accounts. Uh, the first was that they used the term doctor in the company name, which was misleading because it implied that they were medically qualified. The second thing is the claim expert doctors uh, which is misleading because it implies that the staff of Dr. Batras were medically qualified. 
And the third thing is that they reference very serious medical conditions, uh, especially psoriasis. And this could uh, discourage people to seek real treatments. Now, Edzard Ernst, famous uh, expert on alternative uh, medicine, and as we mentioned before on this episode, recently received uh, the John Maddox Prize, he look, took a look at their claims, especially on curing psoriasis, and he found that they referenced to uh, uh, scientific studies. So this is good news, right? But it turns out that one of them is a no-control, self-reported study. And if you don't have a control group, and all you are registering is people's self-reported feelings after taking the pill, it's not worth very much. And then uh, the other study they had, he couldn't even found at all. So uh, the only so-called evidence that they can really reference is their own claims uh, on their website, which is, and I quote, our safe and scientific solutions have brought smiles to many suffering patients. Oh, how nice. That, that, that's, the whole, that's the whole only proof that they have. So I hope that those smiles come from laughing at the ridiculous claims that they're making. But unfortunately, I think that the only smile generated by this company sits on the face of their financial director as he's walking to the bank. This is really serious stuff. Whenever I hear something like this, it really reminds me why we are doing this. This whole skepticism thing. It's mind-blowing how much they can make by deceiving people and, and outright lying to them. Yeah, that's right. So, Dr. Batras of India and now the UK, congratulations. You got it really wrong. The most exciting part, at least for me, um, is coming up. The segment that is called True or False. Well, Yelena, what do you have prepared for us today? Okay, guys, this week I've got uh, three articles uh, prepared for you. Three news um, articles. Um, and you'll have to decide which one is true, which one is false. So exciting. Here we go. The headline number one. New scientist reports you can store data in your body without cyborg modification. Article number two. The Singapore megachurch leaders sentenced to jail for a pop music fraud. And item number three. Scientists may have accidentally found potential cure for cancer using malaria. Who would like to go first? <laughs> uh, I, I volunteer. <laughs> The first one, New Scientist reports you can store data in your body without cyborg modification. Well, we have lots of data stored in our body, so it's um, it really sounds like something that is not necessarily science fiction-y, but I don't know. Um, the second one, Singapore megachurch leaders sentenced to jail for pop music fraud. <sighs> Megachurch leaders sentenced to jail for pop music fraud. That is absolutely feasible. It, it, I, I can, I can absolutely live with that. And uh, well, megachurch leaders, God knows what they are capable of doing. So, uh, why not committing fraud? Uh, and scientists may have accidentally found potential cure for cancer using malaria. The problem with this one 
is that I think I've read something like that on the internet, but I'm not sure about it. And uh, we could be tricked here. Um, I could live with all three of those, so I'm gonna I'm gonna just wild guess um, that it's the first one. No data storage in your body without cyber modification. Okay, Pontus. Okay, so storing data in your body without cyborg modification, that leads you to think about DNA, I think. The, that's the only way I know how yeah, to... Yeah, that's what I was referring yeah, to. Yeah, how to store data. But how can you store data in your DNA without actually altering your uh, uh, your DNA? Huh? That, that sounds uh, strange. Okay, Singapore megachurch leaders sentenced to jail for pop music fraud. I have no idea what Singapore mega church leaders are capable of doing, but I don't find this at all um, strange. People can do all kinds of things. Scientists may have accidentally found potential cure for cancer using malaria. That sounds plausible too. I think I have to go with the first one. If you store data in your body and it is indeed DNA, I don't see how that can happen. So I'm going for number one. That's the fiction. All right, guys. So you both agree that the new scientists uh, report that you can store data in your body without cyber modification is false. And it is, in fact, false. So you're right. Oh. So the new scientists report that you can store data in your body without cyber modification. This article came out on the 1st of April. Okay. Uh, and of course, it, it was so-called, you know, joke article by New Scientist Journal, online journal. Um, and it, it isn't true, but, you know, it's, it's a good idea. Um, and um, they were saying, you know, um, floppy disks to 1980s, thumb drives too easy to lose. Anyway, who needs a thumb drive when you can store data in your thumb? And they were mm. saying that there's a new program called Sprash. <laughs> Sprash. S P A R S S H. Let's you awesome. tra- let's you transfer files from one device to another simply by touching the screen, and you don't have to join the Borg Collective first. So, you know, it's 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 a good it's a good sort of sci-fi idea of the future, but it's not true. Okay, and then the next article. Uh, the Singapore mega church leaders sent, uh, sentenced to jail for pop music, uh, fraud. Yes, that, that, that is true. And like, he, like you said, it's not surprising. So yes, the co-founder of a Singapore church and five other leaders were sentenced to jail terms of up to eight years on, on October this year. Uh, for fraudulently diverting millions of dollars to support apparently one of the mega church leaders' wives' pop singing career, <laughs> um, so the mix of faith and fraud has fascinated tightly regulated Singapore, where such cases are rare in an affluent city state with little tolerance for corruption. Hmm. So there we go. So that's um, that's the true one. And the last one about the cancer. Now, potential cancer cures are very exciting. I mean. We all know how much devastation the um, cancer causes. Um, I mean, I personally know people affected and people who passed away from cancer, etc. And there is always hope uh, that sometime in the future uh, the cure will be discovered. But the cancer is so diverse and, and every single cancer is so different that it's hard to 
imagine that that ever going to happen. But what happened basically was that the team of scientists accidentally stumbled across the breakthrough in cancer research while looking into ways to fight malaria in pregnant women. So it's Dutch and Canadian experts. So they claim that uh, carbohydrate that the malaria parasite attaches itself to in the placenta of pregnant women is identical to a carbohydrate found in cancer cells. Malaria is a blood-borne disease caused by plasmodium parasite. It is spread through humans by mosquitoes. Uh, and it kills obviously millions of people each year. And it's especially dangerous for pregnant women. So scientists from University of Denmark made remarkable observation due to the similar characteristics between tumors and placentas. The same te- uh, technique malaria um, uses to attack and destroy placentas could also be used to destroy cancer tumors. I mean, if that works out, and if the tri- when the trials are uh, in place and it, it proven to be true, that can be the absolutely incredible uh, breakthrough for the cancer research. Mm. And we know that quite a lot of can- uh, drugs were discovered by uh, mistake or, or, or as an accident, um, just by doing something else, and then they all of a sudden discovered that it does, you know, have an effect on on something or the other in the body. Uh, but yes. So there might be a light at the end of the tunnel. That sounds good. Yeah, promising, yeah. Good. There's lots of lots of people would could could um, benefit from that. So to close the show, um, what quote do you have for us, Yelena? Today's quote came from Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yay! Famous astrophysicist who who we all love and admire. And he said, The problem, often not discovered until late in life, is that when you look for things in life like love, meaning, motivation, it implies they are sitting behind a tree or under a rock. The most successful people in life recognize that in life they create their own love. They manufacture their own meaning. They generate their own motivation. For me, I am driven by two main philosophies. Know more today about the world than I knew yesterday and lessen the suffering of others. You'd be surprised how far that gets you. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, very good. That is a good one. That's basically what what keeps us going, right? Even as skeptics. Mm -hmm. We want to know more, and we want to avoid people from suffering. Uh, this is, it is as simple as that. You don't need a deity or something else. Exactly. Great. Thank you very much, Ilana. And uh, thank you very much, uh, Pontus. See you again next time. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time. But until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program 
was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schwab and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. Of course, it's a bit in well insider, in in terms of not in in as in the drink cider, but <laughs> so it's it's kind of. <laughs> Is it in the beer or in the wine? <laughs> I'll, I'll write okay, it down. I'll, I'll say I'll call it. I, I I'll say okay. Yeah, write it down. Oh God, I'm crying here, guys. Come on. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna. Oh, I'm gonna have to drink something. Go to. You're gonna go. Well, guys, pee. let me just tell you something. Hmm? I'm recording in the toilet, so I don't actually need to go anywhere. That's you fine. That's be... fine. Just don't flush. No, but Andrew, she said I need a small room where there's no noise. You really? So you really? You really are recording in there's the in the shower toilet? Oh, on the right, and then there's a toilet. I'm actually sitting on the lid of the toilet, and it's all like very cozy. Thank you very much, Ilana, and uh, thank you very much, uh, Pontus, for for what. For, for editing the show? <laughs> for editing the show! <laughs> oh, <laughs> for fuck's sake, guys! <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, uh, so... Okay. okay, start again. <laughs>